Good morning, good morning, Rabutai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Before the Breakfast and Class sponsorships, we have a public service announcement that we'd like to share with the entire world. Apparently, if a person drinks Bloody Marys, the Bloody Mary drink can have beef broth in it. So we just found this out recently. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a furor that is running through the community. People are, uh, people are going mejnun. Not Mark Adji would like you to know that this public service announcement has been sponsored by him. Not only that, we also recently discovered in our halacha class that a person needs to check nori sheets because I personally have witnessed by holding up to the light that there, are mul- there were multiple dead baby seahorses in my nori. I've never been so disgusted in my life. So it's important always to try and follow the rules of kosher. <laughs> Because, um, you know something, these rabbis, this Torah, kind of knows what it's talking about. Okay, Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated to loving memory of Isaac Marcus, Alava Shalom, Lilun Shmat, Yitzchak Ben Sophia, sponsored by his grandson, uh, Isaac Ben Ruach and Eden. Also dedicated by Mauricio and Laura Sion for the Berachan Hatzachavah of their kids, not our kids, Solomon, Goldie, Frida, and Leon. And for all the listeners that Baruch Hashem will stay guard and keep mitzvot, now the summer is starting and we all relax and travel. There you go. Careful of your Bloody Marys on your travels. Not only that, we also have a, uh, a dedication, loving memory, sponsored by the Sedagat Zandi family. I think we pronounced that correctly. Uh, and as well, the week of Cobra was sponsored and dedicated, loving memory, Moshe Daba, sponsored by his wife, Yvette, and children. And as well, the week of Cobra was sponsored by James Haddon in honor of Rabbi Fari's legendary dance moves on full display at the set, Said and Hadad wedding. Hazak Baruch. Okay. Let us begin. My friends, we are reading a lot about, about the, uh, the idea of Se'u uh, et Rosh, which means we ask a person to count Se'u et Rosh Adat Israel, to count the heads of the Jewish people. Now, I just want to share with you a wild story, just in the, in the theme of, uh, of nori, of, of, of beef broth, okay? There was a guy, a very nervous guy. You know, sometimes you have people that are nervous. A lot of times a person comes to the rabbi, and they're asking the rabbi the question, and really what they want the rabbi to say is, mutarim lachem, mutarim lachem, mutarim lachem. They want the rabbi to tell them it's okay. Fadal, do whatever you like, it's fine, you're allowed, okay. Sometimes you have people the opposite. The same way you have some people rabbi fishing, rabbi searching to get a lighter one, to get a kula, to get a, an okay, an easier route. You have some people, they're addicted to chumrot. They love getting a no. They want, they want to find someone that says, Asur. Once someone showed me, uh, Halachai asked me a question. He's like, look, I found in this and this book that uh, what you did, you're not allowed to do. I said, it's interesting. The, the quote that they're quoting of all of the poskim, it doesn't appear in the Shulchan Aruch, it doesn't appear in the Mishnah Berurah, it doesn't appear in the Nosek Elim, it doesn't appear in Harambam, it doesn't appear to it. You found one sefer written in the last 25 years, I don't know, 50 years, that says that it's Asur without a single source. You might want to check if that's actually how we hold the Halakha. It's not brought by anybody, anywhere. But you have some people, they're looking to find that something's Asur. Anyway, you have one such guy, you know, and I have to say, sometimes when people are strict in halakha, it has nothing to do with the halakha. It has to do with something that they need to get checked out by a competent professional, and it's called OCD. 
You have some people who are OCD about the door being locked. Some people OCD about their bank account. You know, and unfortunately, it's obsession, obsessive compulsive disorder. They, they're very nervous all the time. You have people who are OCD about halakha. You could be OCD about anything. Okay? Anyway, one such guy comes to the Maharil Diskin. And here's an example where his OCD-ness really paid off. He got a kosher chicken. Now today, to get kosher chicken, you go to the butcher. They deliver it to you. Drawn and quartered, like they say, you know? Everything is cut up into the pieces. Everything is nice. There's not a feather in sight. You know, it's very, always very surprising to children when they first find out that the chicken that they're eating Friday night dinner comes from an actual chicken. I remember once one of my kids asked, there was chicken on the table. They're like, why do we call this chicken? We're like, because it's chicken. They're like, but it's not the one that comes from the chicken. It doesn't look like a chicken. They didn't know. They, could have, they didn't see the feathers. Where's the feet? Where's the beak? Where's the head? Anyway, so it wasn't like that. You used to get your chicken. It would come slaughtered, but whole. You had to defeather it at home. right? Some people still remember in the old country, their mother with the gloves, you know, doing, you know, pulling up, pulling the feathers. Anyway, this guy gets the, 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 uh, the chicken back. He comes home. And he says to, his, to, uh, he says to his wife, I, I don't know if the chicken's kosher. They said, well, she said, why not? He said, because it has kinim on it. It has lice. It has uh, fleas. I could see fleas, lice in the chicken. The wife says, what's the problem? We're taking off all the feathers. We're going to wash it off. It's not a problem. He goes, but it has fleas. She says, so what? He says, no, I'm sure it's asur. He goes to the first rabbi. The rabbi says, wash the, wash the chicken. Goes to the second rabbi, he says, wash a chicken, what's the problem? You know, if you have a fly on the outside of an apple, wash, wash it off. You're allowed to eat it. Everyone thinks the guy's measuring until finally he goes to the maharil diskin. He says, I found fleas on the chicken. Is it kosher? The maharil diskin says, please bring me the chicken immediately. Guy goes home, brings the chicken. The Maril Diskin opens up the head of the chicken and inside he shows him that the whole brain of the chicken had rotted away. And the chicken was actually a terefa. What does it mean terefa? If an animal is slaughtered and we find out after the act of shechita that the animal was going to die, it was uh, sick in a way where it would not have survived, that's called taref. In fact, the word taref that we use doesn't mean something that wasn't slaughtered. Literally, trefa means a person. You use that word, but if there's a, a child that's born that doesn't survive 30 days, the child is called trefa. Not because anyone's going to eat it. Because it's a, it's a defect in its, uh, in, its, in, its, uh, in its life force, in its ability to survive. So anyway, so he points out, he shows him the head of the chickens, rotted out from the inside. The animal's not kosher. So the, the man says to the Maril Diskin, he says, I came to you with a question about fleas. How did you know to tell me to bring you the chicken? Everyone else told me, wash the fleas off. Maril Diskin said, if an animal has a functioning head, a functioning brain, it picks off the fleas itself. If it didn't pick off the fleas, it means... That the head, there was something wrong with the head. That it was unable to groom itself. So I wanted to check to make sure 
that the brain, that this animal was functioning properly, it was healthy in the head, and it proved to be, you proved to be correct. This is not to encourage people who are OCD by sharing this story. This is to share a concept that oftentimes a person is looking everywhere, everywhere, everywhere for the source of their problems, their difficulties, their challenges. And the one place they need to check, they're not checking. How many times has it happened to you if you wear glasses where you're looking for your glasses and your glasses are on your face? Has that happened to anybody here? Or they're here on your head? How many times have you looked for your keys and you're already holding them in your hand or they're in your pocket? Does that happen to you? Yeah? That means that a person can sometimes be painfully, obviously unawares of the thing that's causing them a lot of damages, a lot of troubles, a lot of sorrows, a lot of issues. The Pasuk here is communicating a very interesting idea. Se'u et rosh b'nei Israel, That the source of many of our biggest problems in life is not in the area where you think it is, it's in a person's head. And Chazal give an example to this concept. You know, you imagine a person coming to, uh, to the doctor and he tells him he's got terrible pain in his foot. And the doctor checks the foot, nothing there. Can't see a splinter, can't see uh, anything. Sends him for an x-ray. Nothing shows up on the x-ray. Guy's in excruciating pain. What do we do? Send them for an MRI so they can look at the tissue, at the muscle. Nothing there. After all those things, what's the last place you check? The mind. What's going on that the nerve endings are sending pain signals to the brain when there aren't any? What's going on in the brain where the brain is receiving the messages from the nervous system and it's misinterpreting them as pain coming from the foot. And by the way, it's a fascinating thing. If a person ever wanted to look into this, um, there's something called DTS, which stands for deep tissue uh, stimulation, which they use for patients of uh, Parkinson's who are shaking like you can't believe they're literally non-functional. And what do they do? A crazy uh, a thing to check out. They'll open up a hole in the person's skull. They'll find the source, the neural pathway that is giving the person, recording the issue of pain. They'll place a tiny electrode on one side of the nerve ending in the brain and another electrode on the other side of the nerve ending in the brain. And what they will do is they will reroute that neural pathway by placing a tiny electrical current between those two electrodes. So in effect, we'll be skipping the part in the brain that tells the brain that they have pain or that they have uh, the shakes. And there are videos, you can actually physically see this online. They place a little receiver uh, actually under the skin of the person's neck and they turn it on. 
and you see the person in literally split seconds, the hand stops shaking. A person who's dealt with debilitating chronic pain their whole life, and all of a sudden they just sit up. What a remarkable thing that is. Now, the reason why I find that, and they interviewed actually patients, I heard this on the radio in London, they were interviewing patients that had had this procedure done. And they said, what do you mean? A lifetime of pain and it's just gone? And the, man, the, the patient said, I'll, I'll never forget, it was so descriptive. They said, it's not, it's not that the pain is gone. I can still feel the pain, but it's not pain. And the interviewer said, what do you mean? So the patient said, it's kind of like when you're walking on carpeted floor and then you start, you leave the carpet and you start walking on a wood floor. Your brain is aware of the difference between those two sensations, but it doesn't matter. I am aware that I am experiencing this pain, but it is not painful. It doesn't hurt. It's like the difference in texture that one might feel from walking on carpet and walking on a hardwood floor. I share this all the time. I share this all the time. Because it says, to lift up the head. If a person's head is operating properly, if their heart is operating properly, then the issues that they deal with they get solved not by others, but by yourself. If the chicken, its brain is not rotted out, it picks off its own fleas. So the fleas that are there tells me that there's something wrong in the brain. My friends, we live in an era where thankfully mental health uh, and the stigmas surrounding mental health have started to crumble. And people are aware of the fact that if a person has cancer, it's not their fault. You don't say to a cancer patient, you really need to try harder. Focus on the positive, and then your leukemia will go away. No one says that. No one tells a person who had a heart attack that uh, they should just smile more. Everyone recognizes that a physical illness is a real thing. And there are times that it's beyond the control of the person to be able to deal with it. Mental health and mental illness is no less real than physical illness. I remember once I shared this with you. I'm not going to share the whole story, but I'll share this with you. A fellow came to collect money in our kolel. And every time he talked about another physical ailment that he had, his head, his leg, his this... He's coffee, he has pneumonia, he's, there, he's sick with this, he's sick with that. Anyway, eventually came time where we raised enough money to help put him in, in, in a job, to help get him a job. And the guy turned it down. He says, I don't want to have to work, I just, you know, I just want to collect money. So it turned out that the guy actually, you know, all these sicknesses he has, you know, it's not, it's, we're irrelevant. We, get, we offered him a job where he can make his own money. He doesn't want it, he doesn't want to work. He's happy, very happy collecting. So we went to our, our rabbi, and I asked Rabbi Berkowitz, he says, Am I, are we patur? Now we know, the guy's a sketch. He says, when you thought he was physically sick, you're willing to give him money. But you turn to a guy, and you offer him a job where he can actually earn enough money for himself. 
And the guy is so broken in his head that he doesn't even see that as a possibility. That he could stop walking around like a schnorrer asking for money for his whole life. So he has a problem in his head. How come a problem in his legs, you're willing to give him money? Problem in his arms, you give him money. Problem in his heart, you give him money. A problem in his eyes, you give him money. Just not a problem in his head? Mental illness is the same as physical illness. And this idea that families will hide mental illness that's going on in their family because they're worried about what's going to happen with their other brothers and sisters. Did you hide that one of your other kids had a, a you know, got into a, you know, a, a fell off their bike? Did you hide, you know? No, because it's not stigmatized. It's not your fault. This is a real thing. So the Torah is driving home this nekuda. Se'u et rosh. Raise a person's head. And by the way, and this is the funny thing, just because your head is raised doesn't mean you can deal with it by yourself. Go tell a person who's clinically depressed that he should look at the glass as half full. What all he wants to do is take the half full glass, break it into pieces, and slit his wrists with it. He's not worrying about half full, half empty. He's worried about whether he or she wants to live another day. So your positive psychology and motivational speeches are not going to work for him. He can't get himself out of that prison. En chavush motzi atzmo mibet asurin. A prisoner can't get themselves out of jail. But you could raise their spirits enough, my friends. You could encourage them enough to get the help that they need. So for some people, se'uet rosh means to count. For some people, se'uet rosh means to compliment. For some people, se'uet rosh means to help get them to the right therapist, to the right life coach, to the right counselor, to the right uh, environment. In every scenario, my friends, we have an obligation to lift up the heads of those around us because you know what? If the head is raised then they pick off their own fleas. I'm always reminding them, with this will end, of the story of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, he's traveling from his house to uh, the house of Lavan. And he, go, he lies down. And the pasuk says, And he takes from the stones of the place, and he put the stones around his head. And Rashi says, why did he put it around his head? To protect his head from the chayot ra'ot, from the wild animals. And at the time, if you remember when we learned this together, I asked an obvious question. Do lions... Could you imagine a lion coming across Yaakov Avinu and his head is protected by rocks? The lion's like, okay guys, forget about it. False alarm. <laughs> he bite his leg off. <laughs> He'll take a, take a nibble at his stomach. Lions are not picky. Hyenas, right? Coyotes. Uh, wild dogs of, you know, of the plains of Africa. Okay? <laughs> they only eat head. They, they only eat... Uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, sweet, sweet breads? Right? Only brain? That's what they eat? 
The Pasuk is teaching us an amazing lesson. True. There's one form of predator that can kill you and that will eat any part of your body. But Yaakov Avinu understood that he's alone, on the run, his brother's trying to kill him, going to an unknown destination. He's got not a penny to his name because Eliphaz has taken everything from him. Yaakov understands there's one thing right now that he needs to protect. And that's his head. He took the stones of the place and he put them around his head. You know, there's something interesting about a stone. A stone, on a certain level, is eternal. If Moshe Rabbeinu found a funny-looking rock at Har Sinai, gave it to his son, he said, you know, honey, I want to keep this in our family, you know, the Rabbeinu family, <laughs> you know, I want to keep this in our family forever. Every father should pass it down to their son. If I'm a great, 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 great grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu, I might have gotten that rock from my dad. And the rock would largely look the same. Plants deteriorate, right? Animals die. Reptiles, these things, they disappear, they die. But stones, so long as nobody breaks them, they survive. So what does Yaakov do? Yaakov, he's got lots of different things that happen to him. But He took from the stones that were in the place. Why does the Pasuk need to tell us What do you think? He ordered them on Amazon? Obviously he took from the stones in the place. Where else was he going to get them? He's going to go to another place to get the stones? Are going to come back to this place? Me'avneha makom teaches us a tremendous lesson. There's lots of people who are pushed into lots of places that they don't want to be. But in the current place that you're in, there are avneh ha'makom. There are things even in your environment now that are not yet broken. That could exist forever. His money was gone. His family situation, gone. Home situation, gone. But what do I have? What are my avneha makom? What are my anchors? What are my cornerstones? Not from before in my life. From where I am right now. What can I use to build from here? And he placed those around his head. He protected his head in that way. My friends, we should always be zocheh to pay such close attention to our state of mind because our state of mind directly influences our state of being. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu were to bless us with the blessings of his storehouses, we had everything in the world, but we had a negative, cynical, bitter outlook, we could be bitter with everything. And if Hashem was to bless us with none of those physical things, but a beautiful, rosy, positive outlook, we would have everything, even though we had nothing. Hashem should bless us with both of them. But at the very least, 
in every situation that we are in, we can reach out to Avneha Makom and stabilize our state of mind so that our state of life will also be uh, insured and rock solid. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.